The Invincible Teams podcast is powered by Evergreen. Evergreen provides teamwork, training, and consulting to help your team thrive in every season. If you want to have a team that makes other leaders jealous, get started by going to their website in the show notes and scheduling your free consultation today. Welcome to Invincible Teams, a podcast for team leaders and business owners who are tired of dealing with drama and politics, high turnover, and teams not meeting their potential. We know that team leaders and business owners like you are pretty much always under pressure to get the most out of your teams. And we believe that every team should reach their potential and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. Welcome back to the Invincible Teams podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Mayfield. And I am Alexis Skirvin. Always excited for another conversation with the one and only Ryan Mayfield. <laughs> the one and only. You know, fun fact, my next door neighbor is named Ryan Mansfield. <laughs> for real? That's a real thing. Yeah. Wait, how long how, did you move in with, did you move in next to him relatively recently or have you lived next to him he, for a long time? He has been here for 20 or so years uh, I've been here for about three, four years. Uh, and yeah, when I found that out, that was pretty wild. That's got to confuse the mailman on a relatively regular basis. You know, we've only had our mail mixed up one time and it was literally the day after I learned his name. <laughs> not only <laughs> that. Kudos to your mail person. Not only that, we ordered, we both ordered checks from the same bank. Oh my so they God. showed up and were mixed up in our mailboxes. Wait. Um, and so- that yeah. is really funny. Mansfield is his last name. Mansfield. Yep. Oh. Yep. That's him. What a letter, letter will do. I'll let him know he's been on the podcast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, today um, we're going to talk about a, a tool that we use and it's incredible, uh, useful tool. It's very simple and um, called the support challenge matrix. And so Alexis, I'm going to let you take over at this point and kind of share the basics about it. And then we'll go back and forth with some dialogue. Sounds great. Yeah, the support challenge matrix is one of my favorites. And it's a tool that we use very often in Giant to help people understand really, like we say often, what it's like to be on the other side of them. Just like all of our tools. And whenever I teach this one in particular, I love to kind of tee it up with the understanding that any of the tools that we talk through are really designed to be just that a lens that's on the other side of you, almost acting like a mirror to show you what we like to call the proverbial broccoli in your teeth, right? Mm -hmm. the, the types of things that other people see that you don't because you are just so used to your way of operation that it's they're, they're blind, they're blind spots for you. You don't see them anymore. Um, and so these kinds of things that we talk about are just holding up a mirror to help intentional with intentional language, actually ask yourself the questions that these tools are leading you through to be able to continue to elevate your leadership. And so um, what this one specifically is talking about is essentially setting up the calibration of liberating leadership. What does it look like? What are the essential components to having a leadership standard or leading yourself as a leader with two really 
clear and two really key components of leadership, which we would say are both support for your people and challenge for your people as well. And when you look at the tool, that's really how it's developed. You have on the x-axis, you have um, support and on the y, you have challenge. And when we define those things, we would say, you know, from a support standpoint, we're looking at encouragement, edification, affirmation, recognition of your people on a regular basis, celebration of your people on a regular basis, actually articulating for them who they are and what they bring from a value standpoint. And then from a challenge standpoint, we would say, okay, what does challenge look like and sound like that is regular sharpening. That's regular growth conversations. It's regular development and it's having the hard conversations when they're necessary. It's bringing in confrontation when necessary and doing that from a healthy and productive space. So when we look at the X and Y axis and you look up to the upper left-hand quadrant, you see the word protector and protector is kind of that first category that we hit on. A protecting culture is going to be really high in support and really low in challenge. So a typical protector is going to be one who is really quick to encourage their people to be supportive of their people. Sometimes that will then also look like then cleaning up after their people or stepping in for their people when they shouldn't. Hmm. Um, And a lot of times for a protective boss, what that sounds like, what that looks like is, oh, no, no, no. You know, their employee, Jeff, hasn't come through on the the task that he actually has been assigned. And so Jim, the boss is just going to say, okay, got it. Like, no big deal. I got, I got you covered. They, as a protector, very often will default to that kind of tendency. And they'll do it very often because they don't want to confront. They don't want to have a hard conversation. So they mm-hmm. just sort of cover over everything and they move forward. Well, that can happen a number of times. What often winds up happening, however, is that those little seeds of mistrust, those little seeds of bitterness kind of get planted in Jim, the boss, because he's seeing Jeff not really perform the way that he needs to, but he's not having the hard conversations that are necessary because he's a protector. Mm -hmm. Seventh time, eighth time, ninth time that that happens, eventually Jim can't take it anymore. So he explodes and he says to Jeff, like, why in the world can't you perform? What is your deal? Why, why have you (laughs) continued to fail in this space and totally explodes? And poor Jeff is like, wait, hang on a second. I don't understand. I it's been fine when I haven't done it for the last nine times. Why are you all of a sudden exploding at me? And so what that winds up creating is this dynamic of kind of mistrust within, within a relationship because Jeff doesn't know what he's going to get from Jim. He's, he's not sure if he's going to actually wind up getting the supportive coming behind him and just taking care of whatever Jeff drops the ball on, or if he's actually going to get this, like, explosive dynamic Mm -hmm. that he's just experienced. It's kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. So what we often want to create, and then I I want to hear your thoughts, right on protectors, but what we want to create from a protector culture is learning how to have those kinds of healthy, hard conversations, increasing the capacity for challenge in someone who's typically going to be a protector, um, really cultivating and then therefore preventing disconnection, preventing misunderstanding, um, and developing a culture of trust because the leader actually has the capacity to both support and challenge. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of the protector culture, it makes me think of, um, a group of people that maybe like each other and maybe enjoy being there, but the problems with it are that most people aren't developed 
right? So you're not looking long-term. There's not a next generation of leadership being raised up Mm -hmm. because there's not that challenge out there for them to run at. Um, People might like it and might like to be there for a while, but a lot of times what you see is people get tired of the mundane, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know people are energized by, by purpose and by achieving things together, big goals and dreams. And a lot of times in that protector environment, uh, status quo is kind of just okay, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and eventually people lose drive there. Um, so it's not going to be an environment that attracts people who are like ready to move mountains, you know? Um, so that's another big issue that I see with that culture. Well, and I do know it's such an art to develop the capacity to confront, to actually have hard conversations. For some people, those kinds of conversations are easier, but at the same time, it's still such a fine line of addressing hard issues, right? And and addressing when someone's not performing the way that they need to, how do you go about doing it where they still feel valued, but they also recognize they've got to step it up in some realms. That's a really sticky space to have conversation. And so, especially for the protector who often can be the people pleaser type and doesn't, doesn't want to have people not, not in good standing with them, doesn't want to create sort of friction between anyone in their team and themselves, it's really hard for them to up their level of challenge. And yet, like you're saying, Ryan, it's so essential because then you, then you do have greater engagement because there isn't just sort of this, like, yeah, I'll just, you know, get by with whatever I can do and anything that I can't, my boss will cover for me. Absolutely. What's next? The next one is the bottom right quadrant, and that is the dominator. So when we look at a high challenge, low support culture, which is what we call the dominator or what we would look at as a culture of domination, you often are going to have um, a real culture of fear and manipulation. When you're looking at that space, what does it sound like to be in a culture like that? That is the type of culture where hard skills are often valued over soft, um, where there are a lot of hard conversations happening, but there aren't a lot of celebratory or edifying or affirming conversations happening. You're really just looking at, okay, what are we getting done? What, what needs to be happening? And there's not necessarily a lot of celebration. Um, when you're looking to at the dominant space, I feel like there's often a focus on quantitative results versus qualitative data. So again, you know, really looking at numbers and people really feeling like they're only as good as their last quarter's numbers were. Um, they're not necessarily feeling actually valued for what they bring as a human, not just a machine to the team. And the tendencies of a dominator in a culture like that obviously are, like we're saying, just a much higher capacity for challenge, a much higher capacity for hard conversation, and a much lower capacity to actually bring encouragement and affirmation. Um, and that what we know what that creates is a space and a place where people are operating often out of fear and feeling very much like they are machines rather than people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday, like literally just had this conversation. They were telling me um, there's this company that uh, they, one of the first statements they made whenever they brought in a batch of new hires was we purposely brought in a double 
the amount of people that we intend to keep. So they paired everybody. Listen to this. It's crazy. They paired everybody up with a partner from the hiring class. And they said, after two weeks, we're only going to keep one of you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was crazy. I was like, what is going on? Like intimidation. I know. And the number, the thought I had was the number of people who would have been good at this job, who that company did not keep because someone else might've edged them out a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Just by some arbitrary pairing up process um, is crazy that you lose so much talent that way and drive people away. That's not an environment that people want to be in. No, no. And I think there's a quote that I love by, um, I think it's Charles Schwab, Chuck Schwab, who basically just said, I've yet to meet a man who worked better under a spirit of criticism than under a spirit of encouragement. Mm -hmm. And, um, just the, that whole idea that when people are actually being, when they feel celebrated to a degree or they feel wanted even. I mean, that's like, a, that's a space where people are basically saying, we brought you in, but we don't know if we actually want you. So you're going to have to, you know, prove it to us that, uh, I mean, to some people that's motivating to the majority of your new hires they are going to be intimidated out of their mind. I also do think about from a, from a domination standpoint, when you're looking at um, leaders who are typically higher in their capacity for challenge and lower in their natural capacity for support. They are the types of leaders that when they do affirm, when they do bring encouragement to their team members, it is so highly valued. Mm -hmm. It's drank like water to people's souls because it's so, it's just respected so highly. And yet they do it so infrequently that they're not actually using something that would behoove them from a team development standpoint, from an execution standpoint, even from a um, team dynamic, really rallying around them and being grateful and excited and thankful for being on their team. They're not using this, this tool that they actually have a lot of leverage with um, to move their people forward because they aren't necessarily naturally good at it. And so they don't know how to, they don't do it. But I think learning for a dominating leader, what does it look like to increase my capacity to support is so powerful and winds up moving that flywheel on in exponential ways forward um, because their their verbal affirmation is so valuable. Absolutely. So we've got the protector, the dominator. What's your next one? So next one is the bottom left quadrant, which is the abdicator um, or a culture of abdication. And that's really one where you really don't have an engaged leader in the least. I think actually when I'm, when I think about abdication, I think about the conversation we had with Jeremy a couple of weeks ago, where we talked about the difference between an intentional proactive leader and a more reactive and kind of accidental one. The difference really there being that you have in, in a proactive leader, you have someone who's actively pursuing the growth and the development of their people, right? They're not necessarily just sitting back like, typically an abdicator would and saying like, Hey, I'm here, but like, you know, I'm doing my thing. You guys do your own, my doors open. And, and even that, I feel like sometimes leaders would think I'm, I'm a great leader. Like my doors always open. People can come to me any, any time, but very often that comes across as abdication. It comes across like you don't really care as much as a proactive leader who is really developing their people would, because we see a proactive leader is actually going out and actively assisting and actively challenging the people on their team. And so an abdicator is basically just sitting back on both of those. Um, 
and therefore kind of creating a culture where there, there isn't a lot of engagement. There isn't a lot of buy-in because they're not seeing very much from the leader either. Yeah. That's such a good point. Like I feel like the first two, the protector and the dominator probably more easily identify where their weak spot is. You know, the protector is more likely to be like, yeah, I know I should probably challenge people a little bit more. And the dominator is like, yeah, I know I should probably not be such a jerk. I should probably support (laughs) people more. But like you're saying that the abdicator may think that they are killing it on both ends. Right. Cause it's like, well, I don't get in people's way. Um, but I, you know, I look at the numbers, I don't not care about production, but it is that like my door is always open, which is not a bad thing to say, but if that's the only time that your team interacts with you is when they have to come to you, you're missing a huge component there. I mean, you should be where they are sometimes not just waiting for them to come to you. Yes. And I think when we think about abdication, I mean, I will often look at this as a leader that really just seem, you'd almost perceive them as not wanting to lead their team. And you don't have, hopefully, you know, you don't have very many leaders who are in a leadership position who are managing people and who really do not want to be there. So ideally, you know, the abdication space, I think is a, is a, a little bit more nuanced than we think um, rather than just being, you know, I don't care at all. It's, it's more a uh, individual performer mindset when you are actually leading people. And part of your role is to both support and challenge them. Um, And that's why we are in these kinds of conversations is trying to cultivate and articulate for people. What does it actually look like to develop your arm of support, to develop your arm of challenge and to constantly be actively proactively calibrating those things for your people. Awesome. So as we begin to wrap up here, we've got the protecting leader, the dominating leader, the abdicating leader. Tell us about this fourth one. Yeah. So the fourth one is the goal. It's the ideal. It's the liberator. And it's the top right-hand corner where you actually do have a leader who is consistently calibrating high support and high challenge for the people that they lead. And that is such a culture and such a team dynamic that people want to be a part of. They know what they're going to get. They know who's on the other side of them. And they know that they're not only valued for what they bring as far as work goes, but they are really valued as a human, not just a machine. In that, what you wind up getting is both consistent recognition, affirmation, gratitude for the people, encouragement for who they are, or constant encouragement of who they are alongside steady sharpening development conversations where they are pretty regularly being shown and illustrated for their areas of opportunity, where they actually have to grow, what specific arenas with specific examples of how that can take place. And I think, you know, that's, that's definitely work from a leader's standpoint. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes time and a lot of intentionality to be consistently calibrating those things to just be thinking in those realms. And yet the reality is for wise leaders, you are winding up getting such a better product, such a better, such better production all the way around from your people when you are actually calibrating those things. And when you're really feeding your people high quality leadership, you're really giving them high quality nutrients to then cultivate their, their work dynamic and their, the way that they show up at work. And I think what we wind up getting in a culture of liberation is all the things you want in a space where there's healthy 
a healthy dynamic. You get, you get connection, you get collaboration, you get incredible communication, you get innovation on the regular and ideation and engagement and retention, all the things that we know a healthy culture really thrives because of. And then ideally your mission is being driven forward in wonderful ways. You know, and that's the kind of team or kind of culture, like you said, that people just want to be a part of. People are attracted to it. People don't want to leave it. Um, They don't want to go take some other opportunity because they know that where they're at is an incredible place to be. You know, when I've had this conversation over the past few weeks with different companies, different team leaders, the thing that I always start out with is just the idea that the main job of a leader is to free people up to do their best work, to unlock the potential of every person on their team. Uh, And I also talk about it to the whole team and, and tell people that what if every member of a team was dedicated to helping the other team members do their best work, right? What, what kind of an Mm -hmm. impact would that have on your team? If you knew that every person on your team was dedicated to helping the other people on the team do their best work, Mm. that's a revolutionary kind of team or organization to be a part of. And so it's not just for leaders. It's also for every team member. Um, And especially if you're in an organization with multiple tiers of leadership and you think about culture getting pushed down into an organization, And if every leader and every team member can think through this lens about how do I bring the proper amounts of support, the proper amounts of challenge to myself, to the people that I lead and to the teammates that maybe are on the same team as I am, right? So that everybody can do their best work. I can't think of a better way for an organization to be healthy and to really get the most out of what their people have to offer, uh, Mm -hmm. be the most successful, most productive, and like most fulfilling job that it can be. Yeah. I I love asking the question, what's going to make your people want to come to work Mm. and, and thinking about what kind of culture needs to be present in order for people to not just have it as something they've got to do, but something that they genuinely look forward to, that they want to do, that they want to be a part of. Um, I've been on teams where that's been the case and I've been on teams where it's not been the case and man, it is, it's just such a better way to live. It's such a better way to work. You bring so much more to the table when you know that you're wanted, you know, that other people are excited about having you there, that they celebrate your being there, that they value your work. And then you're also in the very same work of appreciating and, you know, challenging the people that you're around. So you're, you're saying that the things that make people want to come to work are not just like a ping pong table in the lobby and a, and a cappuccino (laughs) machine in the break room. It's more than that. You know, it's such a funny thing when we talk about culture, we know culture eats strategy for breakfast. We know we've heard all the buzzwords, but I think this is some of the nitty gritty of like, what are the people dynamics when you are at the ping pong table or you are at the, you know, like there's a keg in the back room, but like what's act, (laughs) what's the conversation happening. And even if none of that is present still, you can do so much with so little when there is high level, awareness, self-awareness and others awareness to the people on our team. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to land the plane here with this one, but I, I know that there are more conversations that we can have around support challenge, mm-hmm. um, and how it can be applied in different situations. And I'm excited to talk about that again in a, a future episode. Um, just how, leaders can use this framework to troubleshoot maybe problems that they're having uh, on a team or uh, conflict between teammates or whatever it is. There's a lot of application for this. Uh, We just encourage you guys, if you're listening to check this out, we'll put a link in the show notes where you can 
uh, see this tool visually and, and learn more about it. So check that out as well. Thanks for listening today to the Invincible Teams podcast. Please consider giving us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you are currently using. If you think today's content might be useful for someone you know, please consider sharing it with them. Just a reminder that the Invincible Teams podcast is brought to you by Evergreen. Evergreen provides teamwork training and consulting to help you eliminate office drama and turnover and help you get the most out of your team. Thanks again for listening. And like we always say, we believe that every team should reach their potential and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. See you next time.